You're listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. Join your host, Pascal Fintoni, for what promises to be an exciting and intriguing voyage of discovery filled with advice, stories, and film marketing ideas. Thank you for tuning in. And now, on with today's episode of the Film Marketing Academy podcast. Now, Roger, 1994 was a very good year for movie fans. We went to see Stargate, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, Wyatt Arp, Legends of the Fall, Shawshank Redemption, Speed featured in this show, Forrest Gump, The Crow, Time Cop, so many others, including Interview with the Vampire. Let's watch a trailer again. I want you to see we get started. So you want me to tell you the story of my life? I'll tell you my story. I'll tell you all of it. I'm flesh and blood, but not human. I haven't been human for 200 years. From the novel by Anne Rice. From Neil Jordan, the director of The Crying Game. I've come to answer your prayers. Life has no meaning anymore, does it? His name is Lestat. But what if I could give it back to you? Pluck out the pain and give you another life. One you could never imagine. I can see you lying on a bed of satin. He chose one man. He gave him infinite power. Eternal life. And a daughter who would be forever young. This is the only real evil left. And then he took the light of day. You're a vampire who never knew what life was until it ran out in a red gush over your lips. Stand this any longer. You made us what we are, didn't you? God kills indiscriminately, and so shall we. Do you like dying? You condemn me to hell. Monster. Unhappy family. He turned we end her suffering and yours. Brad Pitt, Stephen Ray, Antonio Banderas, Kirsten Dunst, and Christian Slater. Interview with the Vampire. Wow, Roger, thank you so much for suggesting this film for film marketing. Oh, do you know what, Pascal? I was looking through amazon prime the other day for a film to watch and hadn't intended to uh i wasn't even looking for a horror film at the time and for some reason it it just popped up as a suggestion and i thought oh look interview with a vampire remember that being a good film so we watched it and wow memory lane it is such a good film gothic horror at its best 
I just love the sort of historical setting, um, New Orleans and Paris as uh, as the main feature. Um, really quite bloodthirsty film. There's a lot of blood and a lot of gore and a lot of really quite nasty violence in this. And I guess it was probably the a resetting of vampire lore, wasn't it? Really until Interview of a Vampire, it had always been Count Dracula, whether it was the Christopher Lee version of the 60s or it was the uh, the, sort of the more up-to-date, can't remember the, the name of the person who did the, the vampire um, reboot uh, of, of the 90s, but this changed everything when it came to vampires. Uh, and I guess... It redefined vampires until the Twilight series came along uh, a decade or so later. And True Blood, the TV series, redefined vampires. But for a while, this was it. I think for me, what is interesting is so we had The Lost Boys, 1987. And then nothing mm. else, I would, would argue. Maybe Near Dark is in there as well. And then there's a big gap. So with The Lost Boys, being a vampire, the message was, it's cool. I think you and I agree that we wanted to be vampires but, but when watching The Lost Boys. But then when you watch an interview with a vampire, you go, no, I don't want to because <laughs> being a vampire is so tragic. And that's why it really was lovely. So um, thanks to, to you, I found the, the, the movie on Amazon Prime and watched it again last night. And... Because I used to own the video on VHS cassette, which tells you how long ago that was, yeah. I remember it very, very well. But watching it all those years later, um, with me at a different age, I got the the sense of this is a horrible movie to watch because Lestat is a horrible, horrible person. Is selfish. Is manipulative. Is um, vindictive. He um, is very violent. Is very sadistic. Uh, humans to him are just food and cattle and obviously you've got the opposite with the character of Louis and I thought that this was one of the most emotionally charged vampire movies I've seen because then uh, years later we have Blade in 98 which again has been reviewed in Two Geeks Marketing Podcast which takes the vampire genre in a different stratosphere altogether and like you I loved the fact that it was taking place in the 18th and 19th century because then you could have, which they did do, amazing uh, art uh, direction. You could have costumes and so on and so forth. But also, I was very surprised the special effects have not aged one bit. No, they were remarkable. And the makeup effects um, of uh, Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt, the sort of the, the pale skin where you can see the, the veins through the skin. Remarkably good, remarkably good makeup and the gore fact. I mean, mm. there's one bit where where um, Louis chops another vampire in half with a scythe or something <laughs> and, you know, splat down to the ground. That's really quite, you know, it felt a little bit Walking Dead, in, you know, 20 years before Walking Dead type of, of special effects there. Incredible. Um, but, yeah, there's a massive amount of melancholy and, and you can see that, you know, Brad Pitt realises how miserable being a vampire is and doesn't want to become the evil person that Lestat is. There's a mm. massive, massive emotional tug there. Well, it's interesting. My memory of watching it when I was much younger, 94, is literally a different century. Yeah, is yeah. I really enjoy the dark humour. Uh, at this moment when Lestat is reprimanding, obviously, Claudia, because she killed the, um, I think, either the, the piano teacher and stuff like that. And then you laugh. But then watching it now, I'm thinking, 
this is terrible. This is, uh, and, and I don't know, I think it's a movie that therefore could be enjoyed for more, more different reasons. But as you hinted during the introduction of this episode, it had a very tumultuous, to use that term again, um, marketing campaign, didn't it? Well, you know, when we were doing the research for this, Pascal, I actually initially couldn't find anything about the marketing, the actual marketing campaign by the studio, other than, as you would expect, the posters and the uh, the, the trailer. Uh, I, I do actually like the uh, strapline for the film, Drink From Me and Live Forever, mm. which I thought was, was good. And, and again, that that hides that undercurrent of the fact that living forever as a vampire in this context, isn't actually a very pleasant prospect. But I think the the marketing for this film actually ended up revolving around a great big spat, oblique argument between the writer of the original novel upon which the film was based, Anne Rice, and the studio. Uh, because basically... She wrote the screenplay for the film as well as writing the original source novel, but she objected massively, massively to the casting of Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt in this film. But particularly, she was almost insane with anger about Tom Cruise being cast in this role, thought that it was the worst casting choice thought that they would pander to his youth, thought that they would dumb it, dumb it down because he had this clean-cut sort of American boy image. And she really just went up against the studio and, and, and created this furore in the run-up to the, uh, the launch of the film. And of course, what, what it inadvertently did was it focused people's attention on the film. And arguably, if she hadn't had such a problem with the casting the film might not have been as successful but because of because of it, it, it she drew so much attention to her dislike of the people that they'd cast in the film people are suggesting this was a tactic by the studios and i can assure you <laughs> judging by the tone and the content of what, what she complained about it, it couldn't have been because it was just too vitriolic yeah yeah, I, 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 for me, I became aware of that that tension. Um, I also became aware that Geffen Pictures, the producers, actually took took her on and said, "You're wrong." Yeah. And and for me, it was also, is it possible that there's been just a breakdown in communication? Maybe she doesn't understand how films are being made. And with respect, actors will act. You know, they're given a character, they can do a good job. I'm also thinking, well, did she not know about Stephen Frears? Um, did she not know about the likes of um, Neil Jordan? Did she not look at Antonio Banderas, Christian Slater? You know, did she not know about their work? I mean, Neil Jordan had discovered, like many others, with a company of wolves in the early early eighties. He did Mona Lisa, which is just outstanding, a crying game two years prior. So I'm wondering whether she just didn't understand the world of cinema um, necessarily. Um, it's understandable that she should be very protective of her work. I mean, the Vampire Chronicles, this was written in 76, if memory serves. And that would just, and I was also thinking, Roger, if you are the people making the film, that can't be nice. I mean, I know you could say, well, oh, you know, I'm sure Tom Cruise can just, you know, ride it because he's going to be paid a fortune. But when you're there, you know, he did confess when you're suspended on your feet for an entire morning with those um, very old fashioned kind of. Uh, eye lenses you've got makeup and so on and 
behind, you know, there's a murmur of Anne Rice unhappy with you. It can't be a, a very, very nice thing. But there is a good conclusion to all this, isn't there? Yeah, and and just before we, I tell you what the conclusion is, I, I will agree with you. You know, she was saying that, she, that the casting was like put, putting Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer in the roles of the vampires. And, you know, we're looking back, you know, 30-odd years here, and we obviously think of Tom Cruise as he is today, you know, a, a, an actor that's been around for ages, a, a middle-aged man. But back then, he was relatively early in his film career, wasn't it? I'm trying to think when Risky Business came out. That must have been about 86, mm. 87. So he's only within the first decade. So I imagine he, he, he probably did get right inside his, you know, in, inside his ego and inside his heart, some of the horrible things that this, this woman was saying. But as you say, the conclusion was that when she saw the film, she absolutely loved it. And moreover, she absolutely loved Tom Cruise's performance and Brad's, Brad Pitt's performance. And she was so sort of racked with guilt, I guess, that she even took out adverts in newspapers herself to effectively apologise publicly for the row she'd caused, which again gave the film another boost. <laughs> and and in fact, you can find on, on um, YouTube a clip from around the time and, and it's pretty ropey quality to be perfectly honest it must be um it must have been shot on a very low resolution camera but again she's saying i was wrong and this film is great and the performances are great you know and you've already said that lestat's character is a nasty horrible evil person but my goodness tom cruise acted his socks off to create mm. that that evil character and i'm glad that in the end she she saw that what they have actually put together was pretty impressive and that's very much to her credit and and yeah. that to me is is what's important so then certainly is, is breathing better uh, by the way her supporters the readers of the book were prepared to just literally not go to the movies to in support of her <laughs> cause so then they were turned around and as you mentioned we had some very very striking uh, poster art uh, i mean I, I used to love just looking at the front cover of that vhs cassette with the, with the menacing look of Lestat and mm -hmm. looking into, you know, Louis and Claudia. For mm -hmm. me, it's back to, this is 1994. It's hard to remember what, it, what life was like in 1994, but what I can tell you, Roger, and to our viewers and listeners, the internet, which is where I sometimes, you know, focus on, was very different. So what you had was Yahoo. Oh, yes. Yahoo yeah. was the number one destination for film news, snippets, and reviews and, and from critics. And, and IMDb was merely three to four years old, so it was more like a very posh Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> yes. So what we had in terms of um, the internet was blogs, both personal moviegoers, but also celebrities like um, Roger Herbert. And you had, of course, the extensive coverage in print media. And what was very telling about this movie, back to your point earlier about the, um, you know, the costumes, the era, the fact that with their longer, they look like rock stars, frankly, both, yeah, all of them. Yeah, yeah. 
um, not only did movie magazines um, cover it, but also I would call them lifestyle magazine, like New York Times, The Rolling Stone, Esquire, Vanity Fair had an interview with um, Tom Cruise. Of course, Fangoria that we mentioned a few times, they would cover it. And then what they did was, well, they had obviously the print version. In 1994, all they did was to put the words onto a web page. So in 1994, film fans would have to read a text-only web page, which is unthinkable, oh, wow. of course, nowadays, wow. because we wow. didn't have the connection to even look at a picture or a video. In the UK, I remember um, I used to get Flix magazines. Uh, they, <laughs> they were in OK Magazine, which I did not read, in case people are wondering. But certainly, I used to buy Empire Magazine and Total Film all the time, and they were called in there. But um, the one unintended uh, also form of PR was during the LA screenings, Los Angeles screening. 1994, the audience were not used to such direct violence. I mean, if you've not seen the film, apologies, it's going to be a spoiler. But when Claudia tries to kill Lestat, it's what a scene. I mean, it's yeah. so violent and back to the special effects and so on. And there is a, I thought it was a very funny scene, but somebody else disagreed with me. Do you remember the one where... Um, Louis refuses to drink blood from the humans. Mm. So Lestat shows him how to drink from a rat. Mm. And he catches a rat and literally bats into the necks and empty the blood of the rat into a glass. Well, Oprah Winfrey disagreed with that scene <laughs> and he walked out of the Los Angeles screening, creating more PR coverage, making people thinking, I've got to see this film. It's so bad that Oprah Winfrey walked out. Indeed. And, <laughs> you know, again, that's influencer marketing. 30 years ago, isn't it? It's influencer marketing. 30 years ago. I'm surprised that they never made a sequel to this. Now, Anne Rice has written many books in the Vampire Chronicles series, and the next book was called The Vampire Lestat. Now, it was going to be a bit more of a history of Lestat rather than Louis. Um, But they never got Tom Cruise back to play yeah. Lestat again, which is a real shame. I think there was a sequel in the end of the third book, uh, Queen of the Damned, maybe Correct. it was called. Mm. Uh, and I've never seen it, and I believe it's utter rubbish, so I probably will not watch it. But uh, maybe it's better that this film stands alone on its legacy. I would agree. In terms of follow-up, um, only a few months ago, AMC announced that they're getting pretty close to doing a TV series. Mm. An adaptation of the Interview with the Vampire, but it would be a TV series. So I'm, I'm back to your point. Well, I've seen the film again, I love the film. Would I want to see a TV series based on the same story? Possibly. Once again, if they're going to produce it as well as they have done the main feature, that'd be very exciting. But um, I do think that this is the first time that in film marketing we've had to talk about this conflict and clash between the writer and the producers to the degree that, I mean, literally, that's all the media and others were talking about. Yeah, I think so. And and in looking back now, in 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 hindsight, it was really interesting, and and it probably led to a great deal of the success that the film had. But at the time, I can imagine it must have been quite stressful and frustrating for everybody involved. Yeah, and I'd like to think that both all parties have learned from that, and mm. it may well be that particularly for the filmmakers, they've learned to maybe communicate with the writers better because mm. I don't think this has been the same experience for J.K. Rowling's with the Harry Potter franchise. Mm. Mm. No. Wow. Well, sadly, 
Roger Edwards, this is the end of this episode of Two Geeks and Martin podcast. Thank you so much for being such a wonderful co-host and bringing to the table many of the content and tech that can make life easier for all of us. To our viewers and listeners, thank you for your support. It is much appreciated. Please leave comments and suggestions in the usual places. Until the next time, please go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. I was Pascal Fintoni and he was Roger Edwards. Thank you for listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. For more information about our film marketing consultancy and training services, go to filmmarketingacademy.com and book your free discovery video call. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe and follow your host on social media for more updates.